Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Bushnell Project. John Bushnell here, and we are racing through Joshua as we try to encourage one another to be reading God's Word. And yesterday, I talked about this curse at the end, and I would look that up, and I knew there was something about that. So here at the end of Joshua chapter six, Joshua uh, lays down a curse, which would have been kind of a common thing take over land, you kind of lay a foundation where you lay down a rule, okay, this is much coming in, and we will not reestablish this. So whatever that is, if you destroy a bridge on the way in, or a road, or in this case, a city. <clears throat> so, if we go to First Kings chapter 16, and we find here at the end of chapter 16 in First Kings that there's a um, king here, king. So Ahab is king in Israel, <clears throat> and um, and then there's this guy, Heel of Bethel. It says, "This is verse thirty-four in his days, Heel." So in his days, meaning king of Ahab, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, so there you go. <clears throat> um, careful when you curse something, and careful if you don't follow up on, hey, I wonder if anybody ever cursed Jericho. It would be a bad idea to rebuild it. So Joshua curses it, and the first guy to rebuild it uh, loses his two of his sons in doing it. So, but that's pertinent for this next part, at the beginning of chapter seven. So they just had a great victory, super easy taking over Jericho. Now they're going to march on. <clears throat> We're not very sure where this next town is, although I think it's near Bethel in Israel, but. AI, not to be confused with AI of today, <clears throat> but I, and I don't know how they would have said it. Anyway, spelt AI. <clears throat> and then we're just going to read a little bit here, chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Jabadi, the son of Zerah, the son of of, of, of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now we're just going to stop there. <clears throat> the next part of the story, of course, is because God is angry. And he's angry because they are not obeying. And he's going to even tell them that they're lying. <clears throat> so when we don't obey God but say that we do, when we call ourselves Christian but don't actually follow God's rules, I'll use that as a modern-day example, then we're lying. So if you're going to call yourself a Christian, are you truly following what God has commanded, especially in the New Covenant, New Testament? <clears throat> what has Jesus told us? How has he told us to live? That's what a Christian is, is a follower of Christ, for, um, following the way. And so... If we're going to be Christians, then what does that mean? And, and so, for instance, 
um, some are saying, well, where's your compassion for the people of Palestine? Um, well, it's, we have lots of compassion. That's part of the problem, really, in America. We're, a lot of times we have a lot of compassion, and we go to try to help somebody, and we end up doing more harm. We have good intentions. <clears throat> so the people of Palestine, for instance, there's been a lot of good intentions to help them. But there is a group there, terrorist group, the Hamas, who have hoarded everything, and they have kept their people, the Palestinians, as a shield, if you will, an excuse to collect money and stuff, and then, but the Palestinians don't get it. So the Palestinians are living in really terrible, terrible conditions there in Gaza because of the Hamas, not because of Israel. Now, I'm not, no, not saying that Israel is not guilty of other things. Israel has rejected Christ and in so many ways, most there are Masonic, Messianic Jews, Jews that have accepted Christ as their Savior, but most Jews have not, and so they are rebelling against God. So they are not immune to whatever God may have for them. They, they, like I said yesterday, we all, if God were fair, we'd all be burning in hell. But here's here's. The reality, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, are we really living a Christ-like life? Are we loving our neighbor and doing it in a way that honors him? And justice is part of it. So there has to be justice. And so, for instance, let's, let's look at something close to the home. Let's say you run into a homeless person. The town I live in does have homeless people. If you offer the homeless person uh, shelter, food, they might not take it. Or they might take it, but they want to take it under their conditions. So part of the reason why some of them are homeless, not all of them, but some of them are homeless because they they are not willing to compromise whatever it might be. So they might believe that they deserve to have their own home and it shouldn't cost them anything and they should have all the food they need and it should cost them nothing. And they should have electricity and cable and TV and it should cost them nothing. Okay, well, that's why you're homeless, <laughs> right? So <clears throat> the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So for a man who doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That's what the Bible says. That is the Christian way. Why? Because work is a good thing. Work is a blessing. And we need to help people be able to work. Now, let's say you have a person who's looking for work and can't find work, and he or she really wants to work. They're, they're pretty capable, but but the times are rough, whatever, that we should try and help them find shelter and food and ways to take care of them while they are looking for work. But our welfare state actually helps to promote people not to work so they can be wards, if you will, of the state, so they can be indebted to to the state, literally to maybe some to their politicians. And I digress. But the whole reality here is God is not mocked, and he doesn't turn a deaf ear to our lies, our, our stealing, in this case stealing and lying, and not following what he has clearly said for us to do. And so that's 
<clears throat> we'll get into what they did here and what, what happens, part of the consequences of their sin. Um, it's pretty costly. So one of the things I remember hearing a long, long time ago is sin will always take you further than you thought, uh, cost you more than you thought. And and so never never give that to the enemy. Never give them that card. They can play when they want to, and you have no control over the cost. So sometimes I think people, Christians, will sin thinking, well, that's a little thing. Or, you know, God's not, that's not a big deal. It's not like I'm doing drugs or cheating on my wife or whatever, 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 like so-and-so. That's not how God works. He wants us to obey him. And he looks at us and looks at his son. The comparison is between us and his son. And we're in deep trouble. And so when we humble ourselves and repent from our wicked ways and turn to Jesus, then we are covered in his righteousness, meaning in the righteousness of Jesus, so that God sees his son. And he sees his son in us when we are humble and broken, repentant, and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter how much money you bring or don't bring. It doesn't matter how much time you you serve or don't serve. It doesn't. You works don't work. It's that attitude of humility, that brokenness over your sin, repenting, um, repent and be baptized. Right. That was a message of John the Baptist, and so we. It's still the same message. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. And then what does Jesus tell us to do? And for that, we should read the Bible. For Jesus, what did Jesus tell us to do? A lot of it is easier to catch in the New Testament. <clears throat> An easy place to get a lot of it would be Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And then how to break it down within the body of Christ. How do we work it out in the church? Well, then you read some of Paul's letters. And some of the shorter ones would be easier, like Colossians. Three chapters and you're done. Very practical in there. If you want to unpack that a little bit more, read Ephesians. There's six chapters. If you kind of want to get into more theology, read Romans. Romans chapter 12 gives us a really good breakdown of how we should live as Christians. So there you go. There's your assignment. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Romans 12, Colossians. You're good to go. Have a great day. God bless you guys. Enjoy reading your Bible. Talk to you soon.